Welcome to the Strategy Mob Podcast. Tune in for everything you need to know to stay in the know regarding the automotive industry. Here's your host, Jason Harris. Hey, what's going on, Podcast Nation? It is Jason Harris here, and thanks for joining me in another episode of Strategy Mob. Today, I have two very special guests. I have Mr. Joe Webb from the other side of the border. Thanks, Joe, for taking the time to chat with me today. And hey, I have Ben here. Smith from a small little town somewhere up north. What, what, what's it called again, Ben? <laughs> Which one? I'm in Halifax right now. You're in Halifax. The stores are in New Glasgow and Toronto. For everybody who doesn't know where Halifax is, like, can you just kind of like, it's like, can I give any idea of someone for everybody like out there listening? Just where there's just it's east coast of Canada. People just get a map out. Just there's get some water. Out. There's Boston. There's some water. There's no Halifax. <laughs> Hey guys, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me. This is going to be a lot of fun. Hey, but before we get into this, uh, for everybody out there who's watching and listening right now and maybe don't know who you gentlemen are, kind of how you guys got started in the industry, let's go ahead and start with uh, some origin stories. Uh, Joe, I'll go ahead and start with you. What is the origin story that is Joe Webb? Um, well, my father. No, I'm just kidding. Um <laughs> Like my mother. So uh, in regard to how I got into automotive, I was in the liquor, wine, and spirit industry. And I was uh, sort of knocking the cover off the ball and sort of felt as if I were a prodigy in the field. But I had an opportunity for a sales management position, which at my, at my age really didn't happen often. But again, I had been good on the marketing side for the brands. And I had the opportunity to transition into a, uh, into a sales management role in a big distributorship in Chicago. Um, but uh, as comfortable I was with selling feature and benefit of liquor, wines, and spirits, I really wasn't good or comfortable at talking price points. And I knew that because when I graduated college and I went to buy my first car, I was completely drugged over the coals by just your typical, stere you know, your stereotypical, horrible car salesperson. And it was just a lousy experience. There was such little information online at the time you know, he'd present numbers to me and I'm like, okay, so I, you know, I see it, but this is where I'd like it to, you know, get lower, right? You know, this takes some off for me. And, uh, and I just remember it being a long, like four hour battle to do so. And uh, long story short, uh, when the opportunity came up to be a sales man management position, I felt inferior to... I wasn't comfortable going into the large chain accounts, uh, talking dollars and cents and pennies, uh, negotiating for end cap space. So my buddy was setting the world on fire in car sales, and he said, take a class on how to sell cars, uh, which I urge no one to ever do. I was going to say, you took a class? <laughs> I took a class. And now, hey, listen, it's, it was a seven-day class. At this point, it was sort of corporate and buttoned up, and I was making a pretty good living, and I was managing like 15 people already, and I was... It, in that time, I was, what, 24, 25? And, um, and I lasted about a day and a half. They hated me. Like, they just hated me. Like, I was just, I just, I, I, I could see through everything. I didn't like any of the tactics, you know. So uh, the seven-day course I lasted two days from. But I went and my friend said, if you sell cards for two months, you'll learn all the tricks. You'll learn the takeaway clothes. You'll be beaten on so much that, uh, especially in the Chicago area, that you'll be comfortable. So I walked into a dealership and uh, got laughed out, completely laughed out. What do you know about the car business? Well, I mean, I was there for two days, but they talked me the road to the sale. And 
Uh, and so he laughed me. I'm like, this is your A ball. We're the majors and this is big leagues and you're double A and we shoot from threes. And like, I don't know. He was, he was mixing sports now. So I, uh, I walked, uh, he laughed me out and he, uh, I walked to, across the street to another dealership and got hired on the spot. And, uh, and I expected to be there for two months. And just like everybody in this industry, there's opportunities and money you to be made. But moreover, it gets yeah, it gets in it gets in yeah. I remember this guy told me, the general manager told me on day one, uh 75% of people do not last, no, can't hack one year selling cars, not one year. And I'm a bit of an egotist. So I'm like, well, no one's gonna tell me I can't hack anything. Like I'm gonna we'll see <laughs> this. And uh and over the course of uh several years I I uh got better and better and had a lot of really documented success moreover, but not until I started handling internet opportunities, created an internet department in one store, got stolen away to another store that was doing 120 cars a month. And when I left there, became a YouTube celebrity. Later, yep. Yeah. We were doing like 420 cars a month. And I had, uh, I had achieved uh, everything I wanted to, but I, my owner had kids, so I would never be general manager. Uh, but I loved where I was uh, getting, but I was writing for magazines and speaking at conferences, even while in retail. And in the end, I had enough people calling me saying, can you come and help fix my store from an internet perspective, from a BDC perspective, from a marketing perspective. And uh, about 11 years ago or so, I started my own uh, company and here I am. Training and consulting dealers throughout North America. Training and consulting dealers throughout North America. Um, I, think, I think you also forgot to add in their world domination to no 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 no, no. Yeah. I, I have no need you didn't get that from that i have no need for world domination um no. i just my mantra is uh head down shovel full head so down, I, shovel to, I uh head down shovel full i try to uh cut out all the noise and uh focus on work and focus on my clients and that's it that's awesome cool joe thanks hey ben for yourself how did you get started in this crazy little world we call automotive? I started when I was 12, so just a few years ago. Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> and, uh, that's right, I get that a lot. I, uh, I started selling cars when I, was, uh, when I was 17. I started selling out of high school. My father's dealer had a Mazda dealership, has a Mazda dealership in, um, in Moncton, New Brunswick, another place that you don't know where it is, but it's beautiful, you should visit. You'd like it, uh, I'm sure. Um, yeah, it is. You're right. Just slightly. Uh, it's certainly that. Um, so yeah, I started out, I, I mean, I did odd jobs all around the stores um, growing up, but I started selling cars right out, of, right out of high school. I worked there for two years and I left. I worked for um, a couple of different auto groups for the next uh, six or seven years. And then um, I ended up going back there six years ago now and um in a in a management position uh and then i uh we partnered and got uh the Mazda store in truro in the december 2016 uh so i moved down there that's in nova scotia um so about but about an hour and a half away or so um so i moved down there and got that little store going and took that store from we were doing like that store did maybe 150 cars a year and we'd had a 500 car a year, uh, but a year later, uh, and kept going and bought the store in New Glasgow. 
so now I've got two of them in Nova Scotia. They're about uh, 45 minutes apart. And so I'm a year and a half into in the most recent acquisition and uh, and a little over over three years in the uh, in the other one. So just kind of been uh, chugging along and growing. And uh, then this this uh, coronavirus hit, and so we're we're just spinning, baby. But it's been good. It's been good growth. So we have we have three stores total in our uh, in our group. We focus heavy on used cars, um, and uh, and we're just kind of continue to propel forward. So it's been a it's been an interesting 13 years for me in the in the car business for sure. It's been a lot of fun, and hopefully we'll continue to be that. And Ben, I got to give you some credit, man. I think uh, uh, being in the position that you are within the dealership, um, you've done a really good job of of communicating. Uh, to your clients as far as just, you know, what the dealership's doing and, and how things are progressing. And, and you started communicating to your clients directly with video, you know, before all of this happened. So this this just going into it was just something that it was custom to. But I find like right now, you know, um, the new norm really does include over communication like it's like communication's always been an important part of our business i'm not saying like that's not but it's like now it's like really how do we over communicate and i'd kind of like to get you know both your guys's thoughts on this you know joe because you work directly with the dealers and you know kind of what what their thoughts are i lost there we go i'm gonna lose whoops there we go i got you back there Sorry, Ben, we lost you there for a second. Here we go. You're back. Yeah, no worries. Um, as far as you know, Joe, Joe, what do you what do you think, uh, or or how are you seeing, um, you know, the dealers and how they're communicating to clients? And then, Ben, I want to get your thoughts on how you're communicating and how what you feel is important to communicate to your clients right now. Joe, I'll start with you on this one. Well, I mean, first of all, I think that uh, all people are getting a little bit overwhelmed with every single organization they've ever done business with or could potentially do business with telling them the new way that things are going to be done. And the truth is, uh, and taking from uh, my business partner, Bill Playford, we believe that customers are a little inherently scared of when people start doing things uh, that are new to them. So all the organizations that have been offering over the course of time, at-home test drives, at-work test drives, offering some semblance of online car buying, that this has become a little second hat to them. Those people feel a lot more confident in, those shoppers feel more confident working with an organization that has already added this to the repertoire of ways of doing business rather than, hey, because of this really bad pandemic, now we're going to be offering this and it's a new yeah. way because people like, if, uh, uh, and my uh, my partner Bill had a great analogy. Like if a doctor walked in, he's like, "Hey, I'm brand new to this. This is a completely new surgery that I'm going to be doing." Uh, but we <laughs> boy, that make me feel good. You'd be like, "No, let's get somebody who actually knows how to do this." Uh, so I think when you communicate, uh, and you're talking about the need to over communicate, what I'd say is anything we communicate right now to our customers needs to be a message of support and not a message of sales, period. End of story, a message of support. Yeah, so, no, I, I'm with you 100% on that, Joe. And, and I think what it is, is, is it's not um, it's not in the sense like, let's we don't need to over-communicate in the volume. I agree with you, like it was crazy. Like the, the amount of emails I got, and I swear they all use the same template. Like, I mean, I got like um, Asana, which is an online like tasking tool that we use for a company, sent me an email on how they're handling COVID-19. I'm like, nobody what? cares. 
What the hell you're do not, I care? You're, you're a completely doing... online company, 100%. Yeah. What, why are you filling my inbox with this crap, right? Yeah, they're not consumer-facing. As far as I care, your entire support team can not social distancing and get sick. It's not going to affect me at all. Exactly. So, so okay, so before I go to that, Joe, I just want to go a little farther on that. Like, you know, um, you know, what content can we communicate with them? All right. No, no, that, I, think, that does no, I think what you mean is, is when you say over-communicate, um, you mean uh, over-explain so people yes. understand. So you need to do as an organization what it takes uh, to let your, A, your own people know that you care first and foremost for them. And secondly, uh, for the customer, that you're taking their health concerns into, uh, you're putting that into play and at least enhancing, not completely changing, creating new, but enhancing mm -hmm. what you are doing. But you need to over explain things to give them peace of mind and that's it. I, I like how you said enhancing because, uh, you know, to your point, I read that article that Bill put that Bill put together. And uh, yeah, it's like nobody wants to know that this is a brand new thing for you. That just sounds weird. Right. All right. Um, ben, you're up on this one. Um, communicating to your customer uh, database right now. Uh, what are you communicating? What's the frequency? J just give me some, a couple ideas. First of all, I want to touch on um, on something that Joe said there. It's, it's very interesting uh, what you said about but the fact that so many people are now coming to the party with, hey, no, we're going to deliver it to your house. We're going to do this. We've been doing that for forever. Like our store has been doing that. I've had watermarked, and Jason, you you know this. I've had it watermarked free delivery anywhere in Atlanta, Canada for since we've had the source, right? We've always offered that to be convenient for our customers. So to, for, for us, it's been a very smooth transition because it, it, in nine out of 10 cases, there's no... There's no difference. I'm doing everything that we've been doing the entire time. And it's just interesting now to see, you know, everybody coming to the table with this offer where it's like, you know, you were, you know, when can you come into the store? When can you come into the store? When can you come into the store? It's now all of a sudden it's no, 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 we can help you out. Yeah. Right. Let's, let's bring it to you. So it's very, it's, it's, I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up because we I mean, are seeing a yeah, ton of that. And the one thing I'll say is none of this is really new for the most, I mean, sure. Digital retailing software is new. But like when I was when I started selling cars, what two decades ago, uh, driving your car, driving a, a vehicle to your home or your work, uh, to a person's home or work was completely common. Like this, yeah, is, absolutely. This is not new. What's new is that we we're marketing it now, so like we yeah. feel good about ourselves. Like it's the first time that most people are marketing. If you as an organization, Ben, have already been marketing like at home or at work test drives or anywhere within you know, uh, Nova Scotia, for God's sake. Like, if that's what you're marketing, then you are absolutely ahead of the curve. Uh, the trick is uh, you need all the logistics in place and your customers, and, and as you relay that information, Ben, and you need to very clearly say, like, we have been offering this as a service yeah. since, you know, for the last decade to take care of customers. Yeah. Just like, really good idea. you prefer to do this, like, guess what? This is a new, customers have always wanted this experience. It's not like now right. they need it. You know, now they need it, but they've always wanted this experience. A hundred percent. It's convenience, right? It's just doing uh, doing things uh, the way that other people want to do them. That's it. It's what's the most convenient way for me to help you buy the car, right? And that's that's what it's always been. How do I get out of the way and just let you buy this? You already know more about the car than I do, right? So just how can I help you buy it, right? You've done all the research. How do I just help you buy it? And that's 
that's what we've been doing for a long time. There's a lot of other dealers that have too, but um, you know, it's interesting what you said about the logistics of it. It's it's one thing to just turn the tap on one day and say, hey, we, we, we deliver cars now. It's another thing to actually understand how that process works, how you're going to arrange the financing, how you're actually going to streamline that so you can deliver any volume amount, uh, any volume at all of cars uh, to people's doorsteps and have it done properly. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting to see that and see people starting to adapt and starting to learn that it's, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of parts of that process that aren't as easy as just saying, Hey, we're going to do it. We'll just figure it out as we go. There's a little bit to it. hundred percent. And look, we can't just lead, you know, with incentives. You know, I look, I know, I understand as an industry that the only message that we ever typically want to share is the message of huge discounts and low interest rates and 20 years of deferred payments or whatever, 20 years, six months. I've seen some out there. Like, I gotta be honest. 20 years me, would be strong. Me, you've been in the business for a long time, man. I have not seen this big a deferral <laughs> like pretty yeah. much forever. No, exactly. I mean, well, hey, if you remember, uh, I don't know if you do remember, but maybe seven, eight years ago, Mitsubishi had a like no payments for the first year. And uh, oh my yeah, God. Right. if you think about what that did to the resale, like when you start paying your payments at full boat, all of a sudden you're like, uh, it's like this is worth a third of what, like you know. Uh, yeah. So I think it. Uh, I mean, that is scary. In regard to frequency, like the frequency of message. First off, what we had been doing is immediately we connected with a good amount of our dealers, and just said whatever you are, because we provide email templates and workflow processes and phone scripts, and we build them into the CRM for our clients. So we just said like, let us know what you're doing, and in some cases we consulted with them. Uh, and had tr strategy sessions to let them know what maybe they could incorporate and couldn't uh, based on their personnel, based on their setup. Now that we took that and we immediately altered uh, auto like several autoresponders or initial autoresponders, the first response templates, we made sure that the team was well aware of how to uh, regurgitate or share those changes with their customers and make those offerings. And then they we tried to, I mean, we're, we're pretty, we're not very salesy anyway in our email correspondence or a text correspondence with customers anyway. So we didn't have to do too many tweaks to ongoing automated emails because uh, I don't like being salesy, period, in anything that you write. I believe that just as Ben said, the best people try to be an advocate for a customer and not try to sell them anything. So besides like eliminating some of the uh had more heavy-handed email and the if I could would you which we don't have anyway uh, that's what dealers need to do is change some of the messaging let people know what you're going to be offering that you're putting this first and foremost but these are the new I should say new these are the enhanced methods of doing business and uh, and then follow up accordingly customers just because there's less leads doesn't mean people require less contact definitely uh, Joe, I, I love the fact that you keep using the word enhance. In fact, I think that's if, if, if for a lot of, if someone's taking notes right now during this podcast, I think that's a key thing in, in your messaging that this is not a new thing, that this is just, this is our enhanced, enhanced process. Um, I think there's an opportunity right now um, to think about how our customers perceive us as a business. You know what, and, and that, and that goes into what we're communicating and the frequency, what we're communicating, you know, um, Joe I'm looking for sunglasses. Yeah. Joe, do, do you see that? Do you have dealerships now kind of thinking about, you know, not just communicating our process and communicating the efforts, but also communicating, you know, uh, just 
what's going on as a business. You know, I'm, I'm just trying to think like, just, I feel like right now that we need to kind of humanize our, com our communication efforts. And I'm just looking for some solid ways to do so. Um, Joe, have you, have you seen anybody that's executing this well right now? I mean, I think we've always tried to, or deal organizations, dealerships have always tried to uh, communicate or humanize their business. And, uh, you know, taking back from, I don't know if you ever had the opportunity to meet uh, AJ Maida. Uh, God rest his soul. He's a good friend of mine uh, and passed way too early in this industry, but he was a uh, staple in all the conferences and he spoke of them as well. But he used to always have the phrase, uh, it's, uh, it's about the people, people. And I think that isn't just about your customers, which it, it also is, but it's definitely about your employees. And, uh, and I don't mind, even though I, I teased you about a, uh, the, the people at Asana, I don't mind when I hear about organizations taking good care of their people or celebrating their people or what they're doing. But at the end of the day, so long, and most people are still a little bit selfish. This is a social media era where it's about me, 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 me. Um, so I think they want to say, uh, are you caring for the people who are going to be caring for me? Because then I know I'll be cared for better. And, uh, and How do you see people communicating that? Yeah, in, in regard to communicating it, uh, there's a lot. Of, I mean, the Hyundai Assurance program commercials that have been out, There's a, the OEMs have really stepped up their game. They're doing a tremendous job at how well they are taking to the airwaves to let people know uh, above and beyond just deferred payments or uh, lowering payments. But there's a lot of great examples of how they're showing it is about the people. And the benefit of lowering a person's payment uh, isn't about selling them a new car uh, or, you know, lease trade trade-ups. It is about giving somebody who may financially be unstable right now the ability to be a little more financially stable because of a lower payment or a much better interest rate or deferred payments. Those are opportunities for people that might give them the breathing room in their own budgeting that are going to be able to carry them through these next few months. That's that's a campaign I could totally get behind and have my BDC kind of execute on. You know, that's that that's something that we should be focusing. on. Ben, at your dealerships right now, um, you know, are, are you guys executing currently right now any of that? I would say more of a personal style communication, and not necessarily oh, just sure. the process and offers. Yeah, I mean, we pulled all of our customers. Um, the general manager that I have in place at uh, at our store in New Glasgow is excellent. His name's Kevin Moore. I don't know if you've met him before. Uh, really good guy. Uh, he pulled all of our um, customers who have interest rates above 8%, uh, all of them from the last three years. And so just speaking to what Joe was uh, Joe was talking about, it's it's more of a, hey, some of these people have a little bit higher payments. They had some lips uh, with their credit in the past. And now some of these people are a year in, year and a half in, two years in. What a perfect time to be able to take take somebody in and get them a lower payment and maybe a newer car at a prime interest rate now. Uh, so it's a, it's a, it's a good long-term strategy, of course. And in the short term, it's going to help them a lot too. So it's not just pitch, pitch, pitch. It's just take this time to kind of put the extra effort in and pull people forward and help them out and get them into, uh, 
into lower payments and better financial uh, situations as well. So there's, there's there's opportunities if you want to find it, but it's good on both ends. It's obviously great for us as, as dealers and uh, and really good for our customers who are in those situations as well. We've had a couple that we've already done that um, that just you know the last thing on their mind was thinking that because they were happy to get that first car loan. Right. So now to be able to come out of it, realize like, whoa, I'm getting my interest rate cut in half. My payments going down. I didn't even I didn't anticipate this at all. This has turned into a real positive in a very negative, you know, looming time. Right. So it's uh, there's certainly some opportunities there for sure. You know, I've been talking to a lot of dealerships, uh, you know, obviously the last few weeks, it seems like that's all I'm just on call from call to call to call. And, you know, I've, I've heard some kind of difference in languages, right? You know, um, I've had some dealer principals, you know, use the word of just, you know, expense. You know, this is just going to be a huge expense on us. Like this is going to be just, it's just, they feel the weight of it. But then I have some other dealer principals out there that are saying, no, this is not an expense. This is an investment. And I have some dealerships that, you know, are in reinvesting back into the people because of the additional time they have is that they're going full tilt into the training and coaching and getting these people incredibly well prepared. So, you know, when business is kind of back to normal, I mean, Joe, you remember this back when we during the recession is that, you know, we had that period, it was real slow, but then there was a built up demand. And, you know, the the cash for clunker program came in, the, the gates opened up. And I mean, I was selling cars at the time and it I, I was I, it was stupid busy. I mean, I don't know how it was for you. <laughs> so I started Dealer Knows in September, October 2008. About oh, dude, what good time. <laughs> yeah, perfect. About a month before the bottom dropped out of the entire industry. So if you want to know what it's like, you're like, thank, thank God I had a little money saved up. If you want to know what it's like to start your own training consulting business uh, during the 19 month period when not a single dealer wanted to spend a dollar. Uh, the fact that try I- building, Try building a multi-million dollar facility right then. That's yeah. what we did. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the fact that I- The fact I that I- like, around and survived Ugh. that- uh, amazes me you know but i wanted to touch on something that ben said in regard to going through the database i'm a big believer in as i said before every message you send has got to be one of support not one of sales Uh, but at the same time i think why dealers in my opinion are deemed essential uh, isn't because they need us to go out conquesting new business uh and and it's not just because there's like at least in the states 1.8 million vehicles coming off lease between now and June for Axios. Like there's a lot of those inevitably, you will as a dealership inevitably sell some vehicles to customers who straight up need cars. With that said, like I know it's a divisive name sometime uh, with uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, uh, who I used used to be a real huge fan of. um, And inevitably like there can be a saturation in a market uh, that he sort of provided, but his book, the Thank You Economy is still one of the best business books uh, that I I've read totally when it comes good. to how to operate that type of business. So, if you think I think what makes dealers essential is that you have on average a hundred thousand dollar marketing budget per month uh, that you are going to put out in the market. Let's say you cut that back significantly instead of going out and and still covering a large percentage of of that budget towards paid search leads and these other things. Uh, where those clicks to the sites would not be as valuable as saying, I'm going to take $15,000 and 
And I'm going to see how I can rededicate that spend to serve the people who've served me. So if you have a CRM that shows you lifetime, uh, lifetime value of a customer inside your CRM and somebody's bought two or three vehicles from you, they use your service department, they're worth $10,000, dollars $13,000 of your organization, calling them up and just like as an owner, as an operator, as a general manager, saying, listen, you've been such a valuable uh, patron of our organization. I want to know how are things going on with you and your family during this time? Are you working? Are you not working? If there's an opportunity where, you know, maybe it's a, a little old lady that needs a drive, needs transportation to a doctor's appointment. Maybe it's somebody that needs milk or doesn't want to the grocery store because they've got somebody who's immune, uh, you know, immune compromised and saying, I'm going to have my team rededicate their dollars to caring for you and supporting you for the next two or three months. If you don't think that the type of goodwill that can come from that, and I'm not saying do it from as a marketing play or because of a social, like they're going to post on social, but if you can do that type of stuff and rededicate dollars to truly caring for the people who've cared for you, you are going to be so much better off because you're focusing now on retaining business rather than conquesting business. And for any smart organization, that should be the name of the game right now. Yeah, for sure. And then that's how we come out of this just, you know, the changing that perception of that business, kind of what I was talking about earlier. Like when we come out of this, it's like how, you know, how is the consumer going to perceive you? Were you a dealership that just took your head in the sand and went totally dark and didn't say anything, you know, or did, did, did you take this time to, you know, to your point, Joe, is actually thank the people that created your business without those customers the business doesn't simply exist that's in fact right. i saw i saw a dealership um uh, actually here locally up north that's been holding a daily um coloring competition for their database you can go onto their website right now print out the pdf all right of whatever they decided today's competition was and that's just they're providing a a form of entertainment you know for the kids and specifically their database and it's just kind of grown out a bunch of people are entering this coloring competition but it's just again it was just one way of acknowledging say hey we got families too my kids are going nuts yours is going nuts here's something for them yeah. to do i mean well more, and that's great but at the same time if you're able to collect addresses and just say, great, I'm going to collect your address and not to market to, but I'm going to send you a hundred pack of paper or coloring book or, or heck, invent your own car-based coloring book for your dealership. Pay some illustrator, some independent contractor, gig contractor, you know, a grand to just create some black and whites, put them together, bind them and send them out with some coloring, with uh, crayons and say, great, now there is in a thousand dealerships around and did it cost me 10 grand, 15 grand, 20 grand? Yes. Who cares? I've got these coloring books, like legit looking coloring books across the area in kids. Talk about building a brand loyalty from the very beginning. Why not do that? Yeah. Ben, I can see the gears like, like just like run, running in your head quite fast and here, man. What are you thinking? Is, <laughs> it takes me being in a dealership before I get to execute. So when I go to my clients, I'm like, now let's do this. Now let's do this. Until then, I just get to say these things. It's when I get there that I try to put into play. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what it's all about. I'm a big execution guy, so I'm I, I've uh, I have lots of people around me that have ten thousand ideas a, a second. Uh, it comes down to like, okay, what's this practically look like? How do we uh, how do we implement this right? And it's it's right now it, it's important to have that because if there was ever a time to start to be as creative as possible, even though you should all the time. Uh, if there was ever a time, it's now, man. Come up with ideas. Start thinking outside the box. You have the time for the most part. Um, and if you're doing anything with the staff that you currently 
have, if you're keeping them on and now in Canada, like with uh, the wage subsidies that we have and all that, like we're able to keep on staff that we might've had to lay off of this, um, this whole disaster that we got going on. You're able to actually take those people now and say, hey, let's let's do things a little bit differently. Now you can give us ideas of things that we could be doing better. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see all that comes out of this in terms of um, all the new ideas and uh, the, the new ways of, uh, of, of doing exactly what you were talking about, of, um, of communicating with our customers and providing value for our customers and focusing a bit more on that than that day-to-day, like, okay, we're working the guy from the service department. You know what I mean? Like you can actually go out and do something a little bit different. And maybe that's going to open up people's eyes to like, hey, we should have really been doing this all the time, right? Like this is how we should have been doing things uh, on a day-to-day anyway. Well, I think right now is what we have is we have an abundance of something that we've always talked about how we never had enough of, which is time. Yeah. You know, and uh, time being one of the most expensive commodities that we have. And it's like, how are we investing that kind of newfound time? Uh, Joe, Mm -hmm. in any thoughts and ideas of how a dealership should be investing this newfound time? And then Ben, I'll ask you the same question. Uh, So first off, I I still will say, um, if you communication doesn't need to stop because there's not as many opportunities coming in. Um, and I'm not saying you got to pick up and pound people either. I think if the purpose of your communication is to support and not sell, then you're going to be much better off. Uh, and as I said, whether it's like the concept of the thank you department or heck, just having your salespeople uh, reach back out to those that have been most loyal to them and see what you can literally do to improve their lives or their current situation. I think that's one big step. What I am fearful of is I'm fearful all these new programs we're putting into place, all the at-home test drives, at-works, online car buying, cleaning vehicles. I mean, we've always cleaned vehicles, let's face it, but maybe we haven't sanitized it to the point because when you think of a dealership, you think of a sort of grimy, horrible place um, in some cases. Uh, now I love them because they're, you know, they're part of, uh, part of everything I, I do and I am, but, but I think the consumer's perception is uh, that is one of, you know, old, greasy, you know, evil mustachioed man, you know, with an orange tie working in teasing plaid jacket. So uh so I think that is some people's perceptions and that's what's one of them up. I'm fearful that when everything starts getting back to normal, whenever that is, that we start saying, Well, we don't need to take vehicles to people's homes anymore. We don't need to take right. we don't need to have online car buying. We don't need to pay for the uh, digital retailing tool anymore. Um, and we, I, I think that would be more harmful to our industry than good. I think that would probably set us back 10, 15 years uh, to show that it's just about placating people until we're back in control of the process. That would be a problem. Mm. Yeah. Ben, your thoughts. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's really interesting at the end of the day, there's going to be, there's going to be dealers who do things the right way and move with the times. And there's going to be dealers that don't, right. That's just, this, this is just one part of that. Right. Do you, do you find this, this time as being an expense or an investment? It's, it's, it's been an education, right? It's, I'm not, I'm not going to say if it's, it's, it's a, 
uh, it's an expense. Um, it's been it's been an education in terms of figuring out what are we actually capable of doing right from remotely, which is which is interesting in today's world in the Amazon world that we live in, right? What uh, what are we actually able to do if the doors close, right? As a as a car dealer. Um, and it's also always interesting when everything gets dialed back uh, for a dealer. And this is, I don't want to make it a, ne- a negative thing, but you start going, what was the necessity and what was not a necessity there, right? Like it's kind of interesting when things get dialed completely back and you have to work at in terms of, um, you know, what, what's necessary to have functioning at all times and what are the most important things we do. Then you start to realize how many things you were doing that maybe weren't the most important thing for you to be doing so you, you certainly get an education in that regard you start to learn a lot from uh from a situation like this that's just so unique right when do you get when do you ever have to dial it down like this right not and i don't mean dial it down in terms of you know uh, effort because everybody's making to effort to sell, to sell cars but when you're going okay we're not going to be coming in here with the regular staff every single day and you know have uh, billy sitting at his desk for you know, seven to 10 hours, you know, punching the, punching the, the, the clock, right. It's going to be, um, it's, it's, you sort of start to realize what's necessary. So it's, it's, I'm really interested to see who's going to adapt in terms of when things go back to normal going, you know what, I don't need to, I don't need to operate this way. Right. I don't need to have these 14 staff that I had that I just never needed. Right. I, that's that's part of it. So it's going to be interesting to kind of see how that plays out because the car business is famous for it. It's really really easy to hire, and it's hard to go the other way, right? So what? No, can that, that's is- a great point. In fact, actually, that brings me to to my next question for you guys. You know, I mean, in the past, for someone to purchase a vehicle, all right, there are at least four people that they had to make connections with, right? right. If you have a BDC, okay, or not, that that would, would have been the first one. Then you're connecting with the salesperson. All right. Then you got to make a connection with a sales manager. Then you got to make a connection with an F and I manager. You have you're introduced to four different people, and you are you you have to connect with these four different people just for this transaction to happen. I mean, I think a lot of people like I was talking to a, a dealership the other day, and because of all of this, they're forced to kind of rethink that. I mean, they have you know three guys on staff, but each one of those people are they they're being the salesperson. They're being the F and I person. They're being the sales right. manager. Hell, they're even being the service advisor. Well, you know? that's, so it's like that's like that's what we're doing now. Like I'm I'm down here. I'm at my house, and for our uh, for our Toro location, instead of going, hey guys, here's what's going to happen. We're going to generate leads. These leads are going to come in, and then you know I'll get on the phone with you and determine who this person should go to because they're at this stage, and you're trying to coordinate. My finance manager, who might also be in his house, so you know what's easier? I'm just going to do all these, right? Because it's, it doesn't make sense to break that process down. So we start to realize from something like this is, why are we doing it that way to begin with? Why are we playing the telephone game and having a customer deal with four different people, right? I, That's I have the friends question, of mine right? that operate Why that have we been doing it that way? You know, I know, Joe, you got some thoughts on this because, you know, both of us started in the internet department, which was considered an early internet department. And and I'm I'm wondering if yours was structured the same as mine is that, you know, when I first started the BDC uh, department of of my dealer group, you know, I, I was everything. I was a salesperson. I was a sales manager. I was the F&I manager. And hell, I was the person who would deliver the car. 
mm-hmm. you know um so so that, that's not necessarily a new thing like i'm actually used to being all four people in the one but that's right. not how majority of dealerships um are and it's like how do from an operations perspective how do we train and coach on that joe any thoughts well i mean the one thing i want to say is uh in regard to the value of people is because I, I've always said there's no magic bullet except one very great hire. Uh, with that said, uh, and, and, Harry, and even touching back and pulling in your last question, uh, whether something is, is an expense or not, uh, far be it for me to say something self-serving like, now's the time you need to be training and doubling down. And Ben had said right at the beginning, customers know about more about the cars than we do. Well, guess what? We have the five and a half hours of downtime a day to learn about our own inventory if you want to do. Definitely. But I don't like, I don't want new dealers to say, Hey, let's go and bring in a, a trainer or any of that stuff. You can double down. You have the time to do it inside. Now there is a value to a well-educated person uh, in your store. And we need to be investing our time uh, and attention, maybe not money right now, but our time and attention to bring them as up to speed as possible. But with that said, I'm also a little bit more progressive than others. And I've long said that a really well thought out software program on an interactive kiosk in a showroom floor could probably eliminate three or four people that you have. We had that conversation just the other day. You're exactly right. And I've spoken to... Uh, owners and operators who say, like, I've got 15 salespeople, I've got three sales managers, and I could probably just go and pay six managers, all, you know, really comfortable six-figure salaries, save all the money for payroll and say, guess what, you guys are doing it all, and have a better, more well-oiled machine to sell even more cars. Right. You know, so are, are we talking about, are we talking about like the McDonald's, like, screen approach? Like kiosk no, no, no. There's, there's stores that do it. Fr- friends of mine, I have a, a couple friends of mine that work for a group uh, in the U.S. and uh, their their um, their thing is one, what is it? One, one rep, one hour. Uh, I can't remember. They have a slogan that they use for it. It's one. Basically, what happens is you're going to deal with one person for the entire the entire process, and we guarantee you can come into our store, take a look at the information you need, and have and be out of here in an hour, right? But if it's online, it's the exact same thing. You're just dealing with this one rep, start to finish. You're not you're not hopping around to a bunch of different people. Uh, so th- what they have is they have unbelievable training for their staff. Uh, they put them through the motions. Their, you know, their their back end profits are way higher, right? And their uh, and their front end is good. They have no oh one price. That's what it is. One price, one rep, one hour. That's what it is. They're a one price store too. They don't negotiate on price. So it's and it's they're, they're unbelievably successful with it. They have super high level managers uh, that are that are handling the entire process, start to finish. So it's been something that's worked for them, and I've considered it because. It's, uh, it seems to have a, a tremendous amount of value. So, I mean, I will say I, I took one of my wife's friends in to help her buy a car at, at uh, not one of my clients, but one of my friends in the industry. He was an internet sales manager and he's local. So they were my client, but they had the car she wanted. So I went in with her. Uh, so, you know, we're greeted at the desk by receptionist. She calls up and gets the, uh, the kid I know uh, as an internet sales manager. Sits us down, never offers us water, nothing to drink, nothing. Uh, pulls up the car, we go out, drive the car, but then 
after we agree to the numbers, like sales manager comes over. And then the person that comes and sells aftermarket comes over. Then a different person goes through the keys in the books. And then we go in to see the F&I person. And then there's a, and then there's a different, not manager, but just some other random person we had to shake hands with. Liaison. Customer relationship. And then there's a vehicle delivery coordinator. And the truth is at that point, there's eight people you've gone through, whereas our grandparents had one person for everything. Like they, like they had one person fix their car forever. If they, if they were buying a car, it was one person. That person, you bought the car. They showed you the car. They billed you out. They did everything. Like and he was the car. same guy who fixed it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. so I think, uh, don't get me wrong, I recognize that there are, there's power in numbers. But what I'm saying is you don't need to see every person. You, not, you don't want, need every person to be customer-facing. You, you can have people behind the scenes just like if it was a virtual deal, you could have that one point person to do everything and they can uh, help you throughout. And I think the goal for dealers, as I said, the reason I'm not trying to sell new clients on training or anything is because A, I want training to happen inside the store from your own people. Uh, but B, I think we need to uh, look at how many people are truthfully uh, valuable to our, like everyone's valuable. This is a terrible time where we are having to lay off loyal people. So it would be far be it for me to say, spend your money anywhere other than on keeping your current people happy and employed. That's goal number one. Uh, goal number two is if they're going to stay there, are they fulfilling a brand message that you as an organization want to deliver when it truly comes to taking care of customers in a unique and valuable way? And if they are just like, I, I go in and train dealerships and I say, why should I buy from you? And they say, well, it's because of how I take care of it. It's the service I provide before and after the sale. I say again, before and after, how long have you worked in this industry? Three, uh, like three months. Here? Three months. Okay, great. So how much after the sale? Have you, have you, have you, like, have you ever sold anybody more than one car? Like, get out of my... So I think we have unfortunately bred people to believe that we are essential for the sale of new business, and we don't emphasize the fact that we, we are essential to the retention of business. And hopefully if they're investing their time and money, effort and energy during this downtime, they're teaching people how to truly be valuable to the long-term retention of their customers. Real value. Absolutely. That's I, I Joe, I'm with you on that, man. It's 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 actual real value. I mean, you know, we're, we're you know, we're we're constantly talking about the the customer experience. God, I even hate like saying it. Like it just it like tastes weird on my tongue. Like cuz it's just it's such an overused word out there, but I mean, it, it's the customer experience. Eight people? I, I had to meet eight people to do a transaction. I mean, how's that an actual customer experience? What, what I'm finding right now is that, you know, as an industry, all right, we're the ones that uh, wanted to hold the, the control or the steering of the process for the most part, right? And I think fundamentally moving forward is that we now have to put, you know, majority, if not all of the steering of that process into the consumer's hand. And then we have to be there to support how they want to steer this process. Ben, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. And then Joe, I'm gonna jump over to you. Uh, I think that that's a really good point. Um, when I started uh, in the car business, there's no question it was that way for you guys. It's like, 
don't give them too much information. You know what I mean? Don't give them anything. Don't tell them anything. Get them into the store, right? That was the whole. That was the whole thing, boys. It's a different. Uh, it's a different world now. It's if I don't get the information I'm looking for pretty much instantly on anything I want to buy, I am not talking to you really quickly. And so the sooner, a really good example of that was my uh, my wife. We were looking for a place to live, and we got the the, the second store. And she used to say to me, you know, why are you getting back to these customers so late at night? You know, you're on your phone all the time because you're responding to these people late. I'm like, it's important that you get information back to them. So anyway, the next night we're looking for a place to live and she's messaging these people on uh, uh, online looking for pricing information on a house we're looking for. And she goes like, just sent the message and 10 minutes later, she's going, this is unbelievable. How did they not get back to us? They obviously don't want to sell us this place. They don't care. See? How quick do you want information when it's something that you care about and that you want, right? And that's the reality of the consumer that we're dealing with uh, today. It's I want the information right now. I want the answers quickly. I want exactly what it was that I asked you for in the fashion that I asked you for it in. Uh, so if you can't provide that, you know you're you're going to have issues because it's just it's too competitive, right? That's uh, so so right now um, providing that information obviously is so important, but as a as a dealer, you can still have control of some process, right? It's just a little bit of a different process. It's not, it's not the same as, you know, just get them into the store and run them through that same sales process we've done for a hundred years. It's recognizing how that lead form came in. So you're going to deal with a certain lead form in a certain way. And right. So it's, it's, it's just different for a digital world or like specifically right now, when everything's coming in online and you're trying to work it, Different people are messaging you for different things. And if you can start to recognize those lead funnels, right, of where they're coming from, there's you can give people the information they're looking for and do it in a way that you're still getting to that end result, which is, hey, are you trying to, you know, apply for credit, get approved online? And, you know, you can kind of decipher which which way you're going. So there's still a process there, but it's about providing people the information they're looking for while still guiding it, you know, in the necessary direction, which is no different than anything we've been doing. For a long time it just it just has a little bit of a different face now that's all joe your thoughts uh so uh, actually because you can edit this i want to go back and touch on and actually uh, touch on the previous thing because uh, i actually want to play devil's advocate to the my own uh mention of how one unique person can be valuable there's that's a, awesome i wouldn't expect any anything different from you joe <laughs> yeah there's a great speaker uh, named Jason Dorsey, who is all about uh, focusing on how to connect and communicate with millennials. And uh, and he gave a really great analogy that I remember, which is if you go to a place, if you go to a party that one of your friends invited you to, much like a salesperson invites a customer to the dealership, and you go there and they sit down with you in a corner and they talk to you the whole time and you don't talk to anybody else and you see all this activity you're not really a part of that because only one person is paying attention to you. Sometimes it, you'd feel like that was a lousy party. Like you appreciate your friend, lousy party. And his uh, scenario was, imagine if you go to the party to meet this person and they are so excited that you're there. They introduce you to everyone. Just really briefly, hey, this is my friend here uh, to look at a brand new Lincoln Continental. Hey, boss, this is my friend here to look at a Continental. He said, it actually makes you as a customer feel really good about yourself because now all of a sudden everybody like they're proud that you're there, not just a number. So uh, yeah. it's just another devil's advocate, like I'm playing my own devil's advocate there, but it's a really interesting analogy that uh, spending time with people in the dealership might not be necessary, 
but meeting other people and letting them know that you're valuable, that might be definitely that might be a benefit. Now, and that's a process know. thing, right? Like you can, there's still enough bodies. Like we always say that it's like that five foot rule. If you're within five foot of someone, introduce them, say hi. Don't care if you're the service manager, or service advisor, you're the parts guy, you're the driver. If you're close to a customer, say hi, introduce Not yourself. Anymore. If you're five foot, you got to back up a foot. Back. Yeah, that's right. If you're five feet, you're getting a lawsuit. Get away but from it. Uh, but yeah, so but like the the difference of kind of what we were talking about and what that is is that in the actual sales process itself, there doesn't need to be a hundred people right involved in each individual section. But that doesn't mean that you still can't be introduced to everybody, you know, that you see in the building. You still come in contact with a lot of people, right? Just walking around. So I mean that, uh, with that said, in this current health focused environment, yeah, you don't need to be shaking hands or bumping elbows with everybody. Uh, yeah. and, and I love to ask Ben and then I'll have Jason go back. Ben, at your own uh, organization uh, tell me about like, are you staggering work hours? Are you, are your stores open the exact same hours they've always been? Do you have the same amount of people coming in uh, that work for you? Are you having people work from home? Are you executing social distancing, sanitization? Like, what are you actually doing at your store? Yeah. So here's what's going on for us. This is for every, just like in every state, I'm sure every province is different. So we're abiding by government guidelines and it's got, and Nova Scotia was sort of the last to really get super strict on it. It's kind of come in in phases. Uh, it started out with, hey, stay six feet away from each other. You're good to go into work. Just, you know, stay six feet away from each other and let's, you know, try to be smart about this. To, okay, you have to lock your showroom door. You're allowed to be open in service, but you have to lock your showroom door. You can still kind of be at work. <laughs> like it was a weird, it's a weird situation. Uh, but of course, practice social distancing um, and the you know the proper sanitization. And uh, but you have to lock your doors. You can't have more than five people in the building or five people in the same work area. It's a little bit of a funny scenario. Now, what's gone on is that's created a panic for everybody anyway. So it's not like we've got customers beating our doors down to come in the showroom regardless. So what we've done, our stores are really small and rural. Uh, we've got staff about 16, 17 at each store. Like they're not big stores. So um, our service departments are open. We've basically kept one technician on or we're varying between two techs um, to, to keep the service business going and a service manager at each store. Um, to are be able to service any, are our you customers. Pick up and drop off or anything? Yeah. Uh, so we put. So uh, when this first kind of started getting rolling here three or four weeks ago, three weeks ago, um, I actually put a video out uh, describing it for our customers. And I mean, we're a master store doing oil changes. We're not making much on a service, but just again to service our customers. To your point, uh, not about a profit. It certainly isn't about bottom line at that stage of the game. We offer free pickup and delivery service for any of our customers. We also fully detail their car and uh, sanitize the steering wheel, the cup holders, the armrests before they get it back and drop it back off in their driveway for an $89 oil change, right? So it's, it's uh, we're certainly um, uh, taking the necessary steps to kind of more or less, it's not to... For us, from a business standpoint, it's obviously not about profit at this stage, but people still need to have their car, right? So it really is more just about servicing our customers. And it's it's an interesting thing that's happened because we've done it that way. Our phone has been ringing off the hook. Like we've been busy with people trying to book MVIs in and, you know, that have seen uh, the videos, content that we 
put out, have seen the reviews from customers, you know, when, when the reality was well, what we were trying to do is just look after the customers that we already had. It's gotten uh, busier because of that. So um, we've we've kept the service department open. We're still offering those services for our customers. And then sales, um, I'm working out of my house. My finance manager is going in every day for you know 80% of the time. You know, for anybody who might happen to kind of roll in. Um, and we're kind of using the sales staff to work the leads with us as they come in. So I'm managing the leads for one of the stores. My general manager is managing the leads for our, our other store, the general manager of that store. And we're kind of working it on uh, an appointment basis. So I'm about an hour away from uh, one of my stores in Nova Scotia. So if I have a customer who wants to go see a car, I'll notify one of my salespeople. They go, they get the car prepared, they sanitize it, have it under the canopy, ready to go, keys are in it. They don't even talk to anybody. They go in and that car that they were talking about with me is under the canopy, ready to roll. They take it on the test drive, come back, drop it off, call me. We work the rest of the deal out if they want to drive it. So it's been, we're, we're kind of, we're, That's we're doing it. I like yeah, that. we're doing it as we go. Um, I don't have staff in sales that are just on sitting in the showroom all day. There's no point to that. Um, and uh, we're going to figure out compensation later. We've been uh, working with uh, workers comp here now so that our staff get taken care of. Because the other thing is, I don't want salespeople who are on commission sitting at their desk all day and not having that foot traffic. And I could be working a funnel of leads that might be something in three weeks or 30 days or right? It's, t- it's tough to say. So we just kind of got them doing, doing work on spec, right? That's it. It's worked really, really well for us so far. It's been, it's been really clean. We've delivered cars. We've been busy. We're selling cars this month. It's been, it's been good. It's just a little bit uh, different than what we're used to. For sure. Joe, is, is that, is that what you're typically seeing too? I mean, I, I, I for as far as what I've been seeing, I would say Ben's actually being incredibly proactive and progressive about this. Um, yeah, what, I mean, what, have, what have you been seeing, Joe? Yeah, I mean, the majority of our clients are offering, you know, it's like a five or six prong approach where uh, from a service perspective, they're doing a pickup and drop off re-delivery with the sanitation of the uh, of the vehicle as they drop it back. So uh, steering wheel covers, seat covers, you know, and, the, you know, uh, sanitizing the dashboard, the whole uh, kit and caboodle, but pickup and delivery, I, uh, that's pretty doggone common. Um the other side would be at home or network test drives of sanitized vehicles. We've got, I mean, all dealerships have picked up how often they're hitting the high touch points and uh, sanitizing those or disinfecting those in the showroom floor and on the vehicles pretty regularly operating social distancing rules. But as Ben said, like uh, not too many people in one specific area uh, staggered work hours or limited work hours. So most of them have trimmed down the hours in which they work. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, and keep the showroom open, which I think is, is realistic as well. Uh, and then obviously online car buying, we have some uh, dealerships that have, I mean, well, first of all, from a sanitation perspective, we have some that have bought like DOZone machines or the uh, ionizing things and they sit them in a car if a customer wants to come in and test drive it they'll sit in the car and run it for like a half an hour so when the customer comes up they'll literally pull it out and have all the stuff on it um, so I mean I think a lot of our stores have been really had the curve because they're not just doing this but they've created videos and have marketed this to their customers through pre-roll on the websites we incorporate it into the email messaging we're sending out from them through the CRM because uh, it's one thing to do it. It's nothing to let people know that it's being done. Uh, and then some have even started focusing on e-contracting, where not just a, hey, through the phone, email, and text, 
we can negotiate and agree on this, but like no joke, digital retailing to like route one's e-contracting tool, online car buying, ship the car to you. Uh, so we've had a lot of dealerships that are really staying above, but that's pretty much what I won't say all dealerships are doing, but the majority of dealerships are doing some semblance of all. Or at least they're trying to figure it out. Yeah. All of the above. So, well, I mean, they're my clients, so that's, that's already they're going to be a little farther ahead, right? Yeah. 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 What I will say is I still get mad because a lot of people follow, I'm sure you've got more followers than I do, uh, Jason on, on Facebook and the different sites, but I get mad when I see people posting videos like, you know, Hey, 46 sales today, crush it. And like, I'm just like, that is not the message. You That's need not the message. Guys, I know we're getting towards the tail end of our time today. And, um, look, it's, it's, it's a different, uh, it's, it's, it's a different time to be in the business. We'll just, we'll just say that. But I, I think there's a lot of opportunities. I think there's great ways to stay positive. There's great ways to stay proactive. Um, there, there's definitely opportunities to, to communicate, you know, uh, our process first before we communicate any type of offer. And I think another opportunity is just to connect from human to human. Let's say like, what is your community outreach to your point, Joe, like you were saying earlier, you know, what is your thank you message? You know, if there was ever a, a great time to have a thank you message, I mean, boy, would that be really appreciated, you know, right now. Uh, but before we go, guys, I'm going to give you both a chance to rant. And I know Joe's been waiting for this one. So, Joe, um, what has been pissing you off? <laughs> uh, <laughs> webinars about co-video for people who don't deserve to do it. Like, just because they think they know marketing, they don't know shit about crisis management. And it's funny because uh, my... I graduated college with a major in public relations, but my area of concentration was crisis management. My, I wanted to be the guy who stood in front of a podium saying, I'm very sorry, but it, but it wasn't our oil that spilled. Wait, what's that? What's that? It was our oil. But again, we're very sorry. Like I want, I like being the guy that takes the heat. Uh, there is, there are true formulas on how to roll out and respond to a crisis in an organization. But I think first and foremost, we need to uh, focus on empathy. And I think a lot of dealerships from what I'm seeing, not all, a lot of dealerships are doing it right. Some dealerships are wearing the fact that they're deemed, their sales team is deemed an essential business, like a badge of honor. Uh, and they're approaching it in a very arrogant way. Like it's so important that they're there to try to conquest new business. And again, I can't say it enough. Uh, I think there's a lot of people hurting right now. You know, my business can be, isn't doing as well. Uh, Ben's business, you know, his phone might be off the hook, but yep. nobody's business. Mine either. People are worried about having to lay off people. And I think because of that, there's a level of empathy where if you just try to celebrate like you're above it, um, what pisses me off is the misinformation of people that follow the wrong news sources down here specifically and rant this crap out on Facebook. Oh, yeah. Like it, it is. Just regurgitate it, yeah. Listen. Oh, they, they, God. Shut your friends. computer off. Yeah. One of my close friends is like, hey, congratulations, everybody. We've flattened the curve. We've done it. Things are going down, blah, blah. And I'm just like, you son of a, like, if that's, I want him to go out and lick 
the the doorknobs of every single homeless shelter in his town. I want him to high five people that walk into a large like urban uh, apartment and then like lick his hand and then spank his kids with him because I swear to God, you are doing a disservice when you're sitting in a well kept house sharing all this misinformation. You are hurting people that could potentially be immune compromised. And, and even in my own town, even in my own town, which there, there is a pretty good breakout in our county, our town is a hotspot. And when you have coronavirus, and I've had, well, Matt Koenig, if you know Matt, he had coronavirus, he had COVID-19. Uh, and even one of my good friends who's an ER doctor, he was bound to have it. He had, he's been in the ER with it. He just got out of it. Uh, so uh, it, is, it is scary. And I think in case people don't know what it's like, it is when you're having 1,000, 1,400, 1,500 people die every day, in our nation at least, it's not something that you should politicize and it's not something that you should share like you are immune to it. But when you have it in my area, they call you, law enforcement calls you to check in on you. And if you don't answer the phone, they'll keep calling until you do. And then they've been finding that people that knowingly have the virus have been going out and running errands and going grocery shopping knowingly with it. And and now they're saying, well, we're going to institute a $500 fine. Listen, I don't need the person's name so I can go kick the shit out of them. But I at least want to know, no joke, where they went. Because now and then, once every about 10 days, 12 days, I have to go grocery shopping. And right. I don't want to risk myself or my family's health because some ass white needed iced animal crackers or something. I, I just like, those are the type of things that like infuriate me. Yeah. You've got this selfish myopic view that because so many people are seem uneducated or only educated by minimal sources and they think everything they read or everything that a uh, politician says is real, that like there's no problem to be had and that things are going to be getting back to normal sooner when I don't believe they are. And if they do get back like normal, there will be a, I don't want to say new normal, but uh, hopefully there is an enhanced normal. Uh, I love the word enhanced. You got it down. <laughs> yeah, That was for you, Jason. Hopefully there is an enhanced normal You're the best. <laughs> uh, that we all need to take into consideration, but we all need to do our part. And I'd say if there's one thing I'd like more people to do than not, it's just to shut the hell up. If you literally don't know what you're talking about, if you literally don't know about crisis management, if you are not a doctor, if you are not a nurse, you shut up. You know? You shut up. Just for yeah. me, a little bit. And listen, and, and I don't deserve to be on any webinar too because all I am is a trainer and consultant. I help organizations. All I'm good at is helping people better communicate messages. That's it. So in that respect, I know I've been a real value to my clients is helping them understand how to craft a message for these times. And given some of my you know, educational background, maybe that's helped a little. But at the end of the day, what's always made me successful is I don't think like a dealer. I think like a customer. And I just try to be a human being. And if you can understand what that messaging is and that all people are suffering right now, we need to, uh, you know, we need to shut our mouths. Yeah, definitely. I'm with you. I love it. One of the best rants we've had so far. I don't know, Ben, if you can top that, but I'm going to give you a shot. 
Ben, yeah, it's not, your turn, I'm not buddy. That, I'm not You're up to your rant. What is pissing you off, sir? Um, I, I, as a dealer, uh, and um, and I know you guys certainly see a lot of this because it's interesting for me from this side of the from this side of the hedge. Um, on my inbox, especially LinkedIn, is just flooded with vendors. Flooded with vendors now trying to uh, give me their free service now and they're too bad. And we got, you know, six months. And I shouldn't say that because so many dealers are doing like the six month deferrals and all that stuff. It's it's, say, I I get it. But it's like, it's unbelievable that it took this now for you to absolutely blow my inbox up with 500 messages about the video tool that you use, uh, that you send in emails when I've been sending videos to customers for 30 years. Like it's unbelievable. Since right? you were negative eight. Comes up. I was negative eight years old sending videos from pre-womb. Yeah. It's insane. So it's just <laughs> it's 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 an interesting thing to see that. And it's so um it's not genuine at all. So it's just like, man, you know, give it a rest on that, right? Like it's so pitchy and it's it, the timing couldn't be worse for something like that. And it's and it's definitely that way for dealers too, just like what we were saying earlier. There's nothing worse than a super, super, super pitchy business right now. Would you, right? Say, would you say that turns you off permanently from wanting to do a business with that, that organization? Oh, you're never getting a message from it. And what's shocking is, how have you sent me a fifth message? How, like, And then I start maybe being interested because you're so resilient. I'm just like, man, you're still going hard at this. You know, it's, pain, it's painful when you see that stuff at a time like this where it's – uh you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to add any expense whatsoever, clearly. Right. And you're, you're basically saying, Hey, we're good for three months. Then, you know, this is what the fee is, you know, three months down the road, but right now we understand. So this is an opportunity for me to get my foot in the door and then bill you for this later. And it's just blatantly, it's blatantly obvious. Like, does, has that ever worked? But ben, when did ben, that work? Right. You, you only have to sell one car to cover the cost. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You only have to sell one car. That's it. It's fucking, it's crazy. So that's seeing, always been one of my seeing, least favorite things. So one car pays for itself. Like, like, listen, one car doesn't make me happy at all. You know, find a way to sell me 40 more and then we're going to talk. About yeah. It. And then we can start to talk about it because there's a few other expenses in there. The lights don't pay for themselves. And then, you know what I mean, it's all, it's all part of it. So it's, uh, it, it's been interesting seeing that uh, for sure. That's been a bit of a piss off. And, um, which vendor specifically? Uh, I'll list. Okay, them now off. we're gonna throw names. <laughs> it's you know what it is. It's a lot of um. There's a lot of uh, really like micro, like people to, trying to manage your social media, like that kind of stuff. And but it's even more baffling is a lot of these people. And like Jason, you would see this because you know I mean, in the fields that you're in, you look at your competition and you see what different people are doing, and it, you you think, okay, so did you think I was never gonna go to your site? Like, did you think that I was never going to go look at your actual site when you're trying to pitch me something to realize that you're actually horrible, right? And, what, like, and that's, it couldn't be more obvious. It's unbelievable. Hey, we'll help you manage your social media. You don't have any engagement on your social media pages. Like, it's that, it's that blatant, right? It's, 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 it's bizarre. This industry is just so full of that. But it's never worse than it is right now when people are trying to take advantage of a bad situation to pitch you on something. It's just... 
it was, I wasn't doing it before this and now it's even worse, right? That's that sort of thing. So if there's one thing that pissed me off, it's literally my LinkedIn specifically, I would have 10 of those a day. When I wake up, I've got 10 of them in my inbox. It's, that's frustrating, but I guess. Even as a consultant, they hound me so they show yeah. me those and, you know. Yeah, I, I'm and getting I, it too, guys. I totally am. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I even wrote something uh, recently where it's like, something else that pisses me off is like, they'll try to friend request you. And then the moment you accept, you're like, ah, 268 connections, mutual, fine. And you'll accept it. And then they send you that long paragraph. It's like, hey, listen, I know one of the reasons you accepted. This is, this is the subtext. I know one of the reasons you accepted my request is because you want to know more information about my company and what it is that we can do for you and your dealers. So I'm more than willing to allow you to understand what we do so you can help make <laughs> me money. money. So uh, why don't we go ahead and what set an up honor. a time that's convenient for me uh, so I can show you what it is. And I'm never going to ask you what you do for your clients I only want this to be about me. Does, you know, t today or tomorrow work better for you? And the reply to that should just be, you know what? Be honest and show me the video of you in your mom's basement right now. And I'll take the meeting. <laughs> like if you just be honest and show me that I'll take this meeting. Yeah. It's like, you know, I'd rather somebody be like, listen, if I don't get three more demos shown today, I'm going to probably lose my job and come a month from now, yeah. I'm probably off myself. So, and I'd be like, okay, you're legit. You're legit. Let's, let's get like yeah. real honest. Oh, yeah. yeah, I'll watch it, you know? Like, hey, I'm hey guys, I, I know we're doing, down to the tail end of our time. Uh, but before we go, though, and thank you guys actually so much. This was a lot of fun. Like, I, I had a blast with you guys. And, um, uh, but before we go, um, for everyone out there that's watching and listening right now and would love to connect with the two of you guys and just kind of follow along with what you guys do and your journey and stuff like that, what's the best way to do so? Joe, I'll go ahead and start with you. Uh, website is dealernose.com and my email address is joe at dealernose. You can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, I don't care. You know, uh, I'm a pretty open and abundantly honest person. So, uh, so Connect with me uh, if you like having uh, seen pictures of kids and family, and that's about it. Uh, or a really acerbic sense of humor. I love the fact uh, that you do include your famous that. YouTube channel in there. But oh, well, what is, what is the channel name? My YouTube channel is Zone Web. So I'm Zone Web at Twitter. I'm Zone Web on probably Instagram. I'm Zone Web on YouTube. Uh, so I like making uh, slightly comedic videos. They're never very funny. Slightly, you're right. <laughs> Who would be sales. the judge of that? Yeah, about car sales. And uh, and uh, and I don't do it for you. I do it for me to release all my demons in a very cathartic manner. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, Ben, for yourself, what is the best way to connect with you? You can get me on uh, on LinkedIn. Um, so you can follow me on there. It's just Ben Smith or Nova Scotia Car Guy on Instagram. Our website, uh, truromazda.com. Uh, my email is bsmith at tromazda.com. If you want to get me there, you can text me at 902-986-SALE. Uh, it's an easy way to, to get a hold of me. So if you need anything at all, uh, feel free to to reach out. We've got all the time in the world. Yeah. And, and just uh, just for your information, recommending people reach out to you, Ben Smith, on LinkedIn. There's 17,000. <laughs> Look at my face. I know. That's the Look best. Look at my face. You're, You're looking for the eight-year-old. 
uh, Ben Smith yeah. on LinkedIn. Yeah. The one with the rattle and the pacifier and the ear pods. <laughs> the ear pods are a new thing. It works while I can hear you well. They're the best. Otherwise, I just can't. I love them. Unbelievable. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for taking the time to jam with me today. Cheers, this, this was a lot of fun. Thank you guys you have, have yourself a good one. Thank you, Jason. You take care, Jason.